So Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament. So the book um, of Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, uh, starting at verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Uh, let's uh, come before the Lord in a time of prayer now and think about some of these good things. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it guides us in our knowledge of you. And Lord, we um, pray that as we um, consider these good things today, you'd help us to reflect uh, on our hearts and, and our love for you. And we pray you'd help us to grow in that respect. Uh, we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, speaking of 25 years ago, uh, I was in Broken Hill with Joanne and I was in my first year of teaching. Uh, and during that time, I spent uh, time in different faculties but there was one time I was in the maths faculty 
and there was a long-standing teacher who was there uh, giving a lesson to the students and he was actually, I, was, I think I was in the hallway sort of walking past and the windows, you know, were very clear and uh, you could hear a lot, a lot of what was said. And at this time, this teacher, a long-standing teacher, he, he gave the class a bit of a serve. It might be known as a good talking to. <laughs> uh, these cheeky Year 10 students had been goofing around for far too long as he was concerned. And uh, some of them hadn't been responsible enough to bring their books to class. In fact, some of them hadn't even brought a pen. Well, on that day, this uh, teacher, he let them know what he thought of their lack of immaturity, or their lack of maturity, rather. Uh, and in a fairly stern voice, uh, he spoke to some of the more irresponsible students and he offered to give them a kindergarten pencil if uh, they couldn't be bothered bringing a pen. So at least they could uh, not waste too much time and get on with some classwork. And as he gave that offer of some stationery so they could, uh, to those who couldn't be bothered getting organised, I remember looking on and seeing uh, the cool kids swallowed. And they wiped the smile off their faces. It was a pretty tense little moment in there. Uh, and then they had their gaze aversion, the body language. They looked down. And it was pretty clear that the tension in that classroom had just risen because this rowdy bunch of kids had all just fallen silent. No one spoke. And in that moment, the teacher challenged the students to take a good hard look at themselves and to think about their attitude to life and, and their attitude to their classwork. It was quite an interesting moment. Some of these kids were tough kids too. Anyway, it was interesting because I wondered whether that moment actually sparked much uh, moment of reflection on them to think about changing uh, their life and changing their ways and and whether that would spark a change of heart in these kids. And whether it did or not, it certainly sparked a change in me as I was listening on. I'm thinking, wow, you know, I need to take a good hard look at my life too and, and what I'm doing. And I thought about this and I thought, yeah, there can, be, there can be value, can't there, in having a bit of pause in life taking time out just to have a bit of reflection and start to, start to think about where we're going and what, what changes we might need to make. There's, there's value in just having a bit of pause, a bit of a catalyst to think about what we're doing. Well, in today's passage, by God's grace, we actually get one of those little moments in life, don't we? Pause to reflect on our own hearts uh, as we listen to Jesus today his words to Simon and his words to the woman. And we can, we can take something from this little time today. We can make this our little moment to reflect on our hearts before the Lord. Well, the immediate context for this passage is really Luke chapter 7, uh, verses 31 to 35. And there Jesus reminds us of some of the, the attitudes 
of people in positions of authority that they had to Jesus. And the leadership typically had rejected uh, John the Baptist and Jesus. He compares them to little kids who can't be satisfied. And he quotes their assessment of him there in verse 34. They say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, why did they say that about Jesus? You know, how did he manage as the holy son of God come into his people, get a reputation like that? Well, wasn't it because he actually spent time fraternising and hanging out with all kinds of people, not just those from high society? Some of the people that Jesus spent time with were at the very margins of life, people who were left in the lurch, those who were deemed as lost causes. They're described as the poor, and they weren't just poor economically, they were poor because they were social outcasts in some circumstances. But his mission, as he understood it, was to preach the good news to the poor. Jesus was there to proclaim release for the oppressed, and that included release from debts, release from sin. His mission was to proclaim the year of God's favour. That had the connotations of God's jubilee year, where people uh, had their debts cancelled and their ancestral lands returned. And so for Jesus to be described as a glutton, a drunkard, a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners shows that he's at least having an impact. He's there and he is, he's having a splash because he's reached out to all kinds of people with the good news of life with God, the good news that they can, all kinds of people can enjoy forgiveness of their sins and that it's found in Jesus. It's found through relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, that they find life with God. Well, even as Jesus acknowledged the criticism of members from the hierarchy, he continued to press on with his mission, didn't he? To extend his, the grace of God to all who would receive him. And today is another example of a story where Jesus reaches out uh, to all kinds of people with the grace of God. We're in point one of the outline now, if you're following along, and we note that this is an interesting situation. I'll pick it up in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Uh, back in the, the day, they, they're a bit different to us. We sit up to the table to eat, unless you're in Japan or South Korea. Uh, and uh, they... If you were to look down from the top, it might have looked like a cartwheel with the spokes coming out, a table in the middle, and they're sort of laying down. So that's why they're, they're reclining. Then a woman who lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now Jesus was there at this banquet presumably because he's become altogether popular. He's the talk of the town. And here he's been invited uh, as a guest of 
one of the prominent Pharisees, well, maybe he's not prominent, but we find out that he, he is, um, he's got some means. We learn later in the passage that he's got a name as well. Jesus doesn't refer to him as a title, but he, he calls him Simon. And, and the name uh, Pharisee had to do with the idea of being separate. Uh, these Pharisees were distancing themselves. They like to be separate, particularly from uh, sinners. And so plenty of questions arise as we look at this particular scene. And the first question I've got is, why did Simon the Pharisee invite Jesus over to his house? Was it because that he wanted to be a follower of Jesus as well? I mean, after all, he does call Jesus teacher. He seems to show some respect to Jesus. But what were his motives, other motives, for having Jesus over at this banquet? Does Simon even uh, understand yet who he's dealing with? Because from what we learn, he's, he's yet to be persuaded that Jesus is actually a prophet. We see that there in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Simon looks a bit sceptical about Jesus at the moment, doesn't he? You know, what kind of, you know, if he was a prophet, he'd know what's going on here. Why does Simon have Jesus over? Is it because Jesus is pretty special and maybe if Simon has Jesus over to his house, uh, he attaches a bit of importance, a bit of prestige comes to Simon. And so this might be maybe beginning as something that's a bit more important for Simon to be seen as a very important person as he has Jesus over than it has with his real desire to be a follower of Jesus. Well, Simon, as we see, is not the only one there with Jesus. We see at the uh, end of the story there's, there's other people. It's a banquet. Others come. But Luke tells us about a woman who turns up. Does she know Jesus from a previous encounter? Has she, she met him before? Well, we learn that she's just standing there uh, in a place where people are distancing themselves from sinners. And as she stands there, she starts to weep and the tears begin to fall on Jesus' feet. And we know the story. We've probably heard this story since we've been in kids' church, but... Um, as she goes to wipe his feet, she also anoints them with perfume. And what do we know about this woman? Well, she's described as uh, having lived a sinful life in that city or in that town. This is the town of Nain that they're still in. And according to Simon, Jesus ought to have known about the kind of woman that she was, that she was a sinner. And so she might be described as a shady lady, uh, possibly someone who fraternised with the Gentiles, the soldiers. And uh, one wonders how she got into the party. Well, it's difficult to know. It's maybe she's just confident that because Jesus is there, she'll be able to find a way in. But either way, we're told that when she hears that Jesus is there, she, she, she turns up and she's, she's upset. Uh, and she's probably just turned up, obviously, unannounced, un uninvited. 
Well, here we have an interesting situation, don't we? And it's an interesting moment for thinking about changes of the heart. It doesn't take long for Jesus to pick up on Simon's attitude, does he? Simon doesn't say these things, he just thinks them. And Simon doesn't even think that Jesus is a prophet. But it's interesting, Jesus answers what Simon's already thinking and shows himself to be a prophet. There's an attitude of shock that Simon's got, that Jesus has got even a degree of contact with this woman. And Jesus makes the moment, most of this moment, as a teaching time. It's, a, it's an opportunity to extend God's grace and, uh, to all who are listening. And so he extends God's grace, doesn't he? And the, one of the ways he does that is by teaching. He teaches Simon and he teaches the people who are there. He teaches the woman and he teaches us. In verse 40 to 43, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debts cancelled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Does Simon understand the logic of what Jesus has just said? Yes, he does. Simon is not simple. He's rational. He understands the sort of thing that Jesus is talking about. He understands the point Jesus is making. Namely, the one who had the bigger debt cancelled is very grateful. They love the one who cancelled the debt more. It's, it's a big deal. Intellectually, he understands the parable, doesn't he? But at a spiritual level, he seems to be still lost in the woods, doesn't he? Has he understood that why Jesus is even raising this topic? the topic of people having their debts cancelled and the associated connotations of people having their sins forgiven. Has he made that connection? At the moment, the parable looks a bit lost on him. Intellectually, he, he's sort of getting 10 out of 10, he understands. But Jesus begins to join the dots for him, doesn't he? And he starts to give him the picture, so to speak. Well, if you're following in the sermon outline, we're at point three now, where Jesus sheds light on human hearts. In verse 44 to 47, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Well, what was the woman's problem? Uh, the woman in, is described in this story as, as a sinner. 
the particular connotations of that aren't spelled out, but her label as a sinner leads us to wonder about the kind of life that she's led, how she's earned her money and put bread on the table. In fact, uh, for some people in that time and that society, kids, girls were born into families with debts and their parents sold them into prostitution. It's a complicated situation she's in. We don't know the circumstances, but whatever the case, it's a hard situation she's now found herself in and she's shedding tears. Has what's happened in her life, all of the sorrow, the guilt, have those been the experiences of, that have led her to shed these tears, standing there visibly upset, unable to contain those strong emotions? Is that why she's crying? We're sort of not told in the, in the narrative. We don't get told she's crying over past sin. But we learn that she is forgiven. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. And so there's another aspect to the tears here as well, isn't there? We're sort of left wondering, are these, are these tears of joy? Are these tears of relief? Do her once tears of sadness and sorrow and guilt now start to mirror or match the new, the new tears of actual relief and joy at life with God. Jesus' assessment is that she loves much because she's been forgiven much. And this is perhaps a, a very wonderful situation for this lady to, to um, have spent this time with Jesus and to, to know that relief of forgiveness from a life that's been a very, very difficult one, it seems. Now, I'm changing the outline slightly here. I'm moving to the point about uh, there's a, is there any of the woman in us part of the outline? I thought we, while we're sticking with the woman and thinking about her, we can think about ourselves. And so let me ask you and I the question, can we see something of ourselves uh, in this woman? Here's someone familiar with sorrow. She can't hide her feelings perhaps about the life that she's led to this point and the, the pain that, that brings to her as she, she cries? Um, have we faced up to times when we've actually uh, looked at the, the things that we've done in our lives where we've also uh, known that we're guilty for our sin? I mean, Benjamin's just prayed a nice little frank prayer about, you know, he, he had a bit of anger this week, very honest of you, Benjamin, confessing that sin is... But, this is true of all of us, isn't it? We, there's a bit of the woman in us, isn't there? We know that there's been times we have not lived up to uh, the way God calls us to live. There's been times when we've felt ashamed of ourselves. Uh, and we know, in our own way, the blunders that we've made. And, and, and there's a bit of... She might have, we might not have you know, been where she's been, but we still know when we haven't done what's right. I still feel guilty about some of the, my jobs as a parent, actually. <laughs> the kids are very forgiving, though. Well, to the extent that um, we've felt sorrow for our sin, uh, 
we can engage with this woman too, but the, to the extent that uh, she's found relief and forgiveness, we can find some of that too, can't we? Uh, we we're a group of people who've turned back to the Lord and been sorry for our sin, and we've got the comfort of knowing that we're forgiven too. Jesus comes to bring salvation for all kinds of people. We see that in the second half of the story about how he does that, dying and rising again for our sins. And the fruit of that work is to, to bring us uh, some relief as well, bring us uh, tears of joy, if you like, as we think about just the goodness of, uh, of knowing we're, we're forgiven and we enjoy life with God. It's a, good, it's a good moment for the woman and it's a good moment for us to think about our status as people who stand in God's grace and enjoy his forgiveness too. Well, let's turn now to Simon and think about what was Simon's problem. This is, a, this is a more interesting little moment, I think, this one on Simon. In the first place, Simon doesn't seem to care a great deal about Jesus. You know, there were certain customs that these people had when they had a guest over in that society. Uh, and Jesus runs through a little bit of a list here. Uh, he doesn't get any water for his feet. That's one of the things you're supposed to do, you know. Uh, there's no kiss. Now, whether it's a kiss on the hand or a kiss on the cheek, you know, this is just a, a showing proper respect. And, and they might have had some olive oil that they put on someone, but Simon, Simon doesn't bother with that. Jesus seems to be saying, Simon, you don't, you don't even care. You've abdicated your responsibilities as a host. You haven't even come up with the customs that were... In, expected of the time and uh, it's interesting he starts to draw a contrast by saying look you haven't done these things but this woman that you're looking down on she's showing you up because she's doing your job as the host his life doesn't seem to be as out of control as the woman's her life seems to have been pretty messy he's a learned person with a home he occupies a, a place in society that's looked up to and he even has enough money to put on a banquet and invite people around. Simon doesn't seem to be in such desperate circumstances as the woman, not by a long shot. And while he's busy looking down on the woman and pointing the finger at her for being a sinner, standing in judgment of Jesus for having contact with her, he's got a a bit of an entrenched attitude here, um, perhaps pumping himself up at their expense. And a good question for Simon, though, is, is he aware of his own sin? Or is he even just in denial of his sin? Which one is it? Does he lack awareness? He doesn't know that he's a sinner? Or is he just denying that he's a sinner? Simon might not have had as obvious a sin as the woman, but that didn't make him perfect. And while he's pointing the finger at the woman, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he's got a few fingers pointing back at himself too, doesn't he? For in Mark chapter 7, Jesus lists some of the things that come out of men's hearts, evil thoughts, Greed, malice, deceit, slander, arrogance, folly. Elsewhere, God's word adds these other sins. 
idolatry, hatred, envy, greed, selfish ambition, judgmentalism, pride, conceit and self-righteousness. Was Simon aware of his own arrogance? Did he even realise that he was being judgmental? Did it, did it ever occur to him that he was harbouring his own conceit and his own self-righteousness? Was he that lacking in self-awareness that he couldn't see his need to be forgiven as well? Was he aware of those things? Or was he in denial that some of those sins were a feature of his life too? Those were the sorts of things that Simon needed to take a good look at his own heart. He needed to name some of those sins and repent of them. And even while he entertained the very one who could wash those sins away. While he was busy judging the woman's sin and even judging Jesus for spending time with her, he had an opportunity too, didn't he? An opportunity to take a good hard look at himself and his attitude towards God and his own life. When Jesus asked him the meaning of this little parable about which of the people loved the one who forgave their debt more, in that moment he had an opportunity to reflect on his forgiveness and the, the opportunity for his forgiveness too. Now we don't know, do we, whether this, um, this little moment that Jesus has with Simon and the woman, we don't know whether that's actually sparked a change in Simon's heart, do we? But it's a, it's a good little moment for us. It's good for us to think about being a bit more self-aware of, of our sin, maybe the things that we, we're falling short in. Have we pumped ourselves up at the expense of others? Do we think of ourselves more highly than we ought sometimes and have had contempt for other people and look down on the poor. And what about self-righteousness? I mean, is that one of our sins? Simon didn't seem to be too aware of his sin and need for forgiveness. And it's true, isn't it, that we can be blind to our sin as well. Or we can be in denial of it. But coming to acceptance of our sin is important and, as, and, and we have this uh, gift of coming to Jesus to enjoy and being reminded uh, that we have forgiveness of our sins and life with the Lord. I mean, it's one thing for students to grapple with getting their act together, isn't it? And thinking about, you know, taking a good hard look at themselves and whether they need to bring their pen to class. But this, there's another more important thing, isn't it, to think grappling with, our, with ourselves and how we love and serve the Lord and love one another. There's some things more important than even getting your act together in, in a classroom, and that is getting your act together and walking closely with the Lord. Well, we're just about there, folks. So point four, Jesus brings forgiveness. In verse 48, he says, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Jesus gives this woman a assurance that she is forgiven, but she seems to already know that. And perhaps this assurance is given also for the other guests there. You know, she's had a, a difficult past and he's saying to them, she is forgiven. She stands as a legitimate member of the people of God and she needs to be treated as such. Apparently this is striking news for the dinner guests as they're confronted with the, this God man who is able to forgive sins. God has visited his people in the person of Jesus and he's able to forgive sins. He has the authority of God to do that. And this woman has her faith in Jesus. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. But what about Simon? Does his faith save him? Does he have faith in Jesus like this woman has? Does he go in peace, reinstated as someone who is a legitimate member of the people of God as well? Well, we don't know. We're sort of left hanging there, aren't we? But the question for us is, uh, as this woman has been forgiven much, she loves much, the question for us is, do we love much? It's hard to know for Simon, but as we think about uh, our own lives before the Lord, as we reflect on our own sin and our shortcomings, uh, are we those who are very grateful for God's grace to our lives? Well, as we uh, go from here today, the challenge for this week is to think about uh, God's grace and kindness to us in Christ and, and what it means for us to remember that, that grace, not treat it cheaply, but to be grateful for it and to be among those who also, uh, like this woman, uh, love much, love the Lord much. May God help us to be mindful of his um, grace to us this week. Uh, let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this time we've had just to think for a bit longer about being aware of uh, the amount that we need to be forgiven of you. Lord, help us to be among those who are very grateful for your grace to us in Christ. We give you thanks that Jesus did come into the world to deal with our sin, that he died and rose again, that he gives us life with you. And Lord, we give you thanks that we do stand in your grace and can have tears of joy at that relief. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to walk closely with you in gratitude for your love for us and the fact that we've been forgiven much. And Lord, we just thank you for this time now where we can remember uh, your grace to us in Christ. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.